0: This is Lunchpail VC, presented by Bullpen Capital. Each week, host Randy Comisar and I, Paul Martino, go deep into the nuts and bolts of all aspects of the venture capital business. And no, we don't ice the kicker, but we do give you a no bull look into the VC business. We talk with exceptional VCs about all sorts of topics, including deal sourcing, deal selection, selection of your fund size, just to name a few. Welcome to another episode of Lunch Pail VC, where there is no fleece allowed. I am one of your hosts, Paul Martino, managing partner of Bullpen Capital, along with my friend and partner in crime, Randy Komisar of Kleiner Perkins.
1: Hey, Paul. It's great to be here as always. Today's guest is an ambitious emerging fund manager. Jenny Friedman is the founder of Four Acres Capital, and previously a managing partner at Supernode Ventures, And she worked at ENIAC and Goldman before that.
0: Yes, Jenny is one of the emerging managers on the New York tech scene. And starting a fund from scratch in your early 30s takes some real chutzpah. And we're going to talk to her about how she did it.
1: Hutzpah is right. The challenges of starting a fund in 2021 and raising your first round during the pandemic must be a whole other kettle of fish. I can't wait to get into that with more Jenny.
0: Without further ado, Jenny Friedman, welcome to Lunch VC.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Jenny, you could have certainly taken the path that I would say most people would take from where you started, where you move up the ladder from the fund you started up the more established fund route, but instead Mm -hmm. you decided that you were going to go and start your own fund. I would love to hear a bit about your thought process to decide, hey, it's 2021, the pandemic's kind of maybe over, let's go start a new fund. I'd love, love to get in your head and talk to us about the decision to go do it in this current environment versus doing maybe the easier thing.
2: Yeah. No, it wasn't really like, oh, it's 2021. Let's do it. It was more like, so I was at Goldman after college. It was like the only job I had ever known. I did it during college. And like, basically I was just like, wrote, my brothers did it. You do your internship at Goldman. Then you work there full time. Then you go to like, it was just like, that's what, it was like a cog. After I was there for a couple of years, I just I knew I didn't want that culture of being Sort of a small fish in a big sea, and I felt like I really wanted to experience what like the startup world was generally. I went to Columbia Business School. I applied. Once I got in, actually, to hedge some risk, I started applying. I this was a time where you could like Google like best startups in New York City. I did that, and there were like a list of ten or twelve companies, and one of them is Mini Bar Delivery. There were two Wharton MBAs. They were like good girls. The whole team was. Actually, a bunch of ex-Penn people, and I went to Penn undergrad. And it was seemed really interesting to get some exposure to sort of marketplaces, e-commerce, logistics, and be at a company that raised like a million dollars at the time and super scrappy and like five people. Um, I thought that it would help my resume in terms of like, I'm showing interest in tech. And I do think in 2014-15, coming from Goldman to a VC, it was like, People were like, "Don't wear a suit to your interview." Like people like thought that you we were like super straight edge, and like no one in VC or tech would or tech generally would want to entertain the idea of hiring you. And so, and I was in asset management at Goldman, so it wasn't like a it wasn't very direct from you know Goldman to to a VC. So I had that gap. I went to minibar, and I was at Columbia Business School, and then I just started asking people for you know intros to VCs I really wanted to get involved and I thought like the coolest job ever would be to create a portfolio of like just a bunch of tech companies to basically do asset management but with company instead of you know muni bonds and things that weren't as exciting like actually fill it with companies that were interesting and that I was like naturally reading TechCrunch every day and I was just really interested in tech. So Nahal Mehta who obviously you guys know he is a GP at ENIAC Ventures. I got connected to him he took a bet on me, which was, you know, really changed my career because, you know, that was really my foray into venture. And they closed their office, ENIAC, in New York. And I was I wanted to find something, obviously, full-time in New York. But then when I was looking at, like, you know, RRE, some of, like, the really great typical New York funds, I felt like it was too similar to Goldman. I really wanted to find some sort of, like, like an ENIAC where you bring your own computer. It's like very non, it's not super structured. Like you can wear jeans every day, just totally a startup environment. And it was like box group. There were only a couple of fun. There weren't that It was nowhere near like it is today. I sound so old, but it 2015 versus now is like a li- lifetime of a difference. Um, and I met, I was at a, an event, Howard Morgan was speaking, which is funny because he's actually one of my investors now. And I was talking to some guy, he asked me what I was doing. I said, I was looking for a new, something new. And she, he was like, you should meet Laurel. She's actually looking for a partner. And she happened to be at that event. In this time, like being a partner at a VC fund was a really big deal. And I was young and so excited about the opportunity. I don't know anyone else who was offering me to be a partner, and with like real meaningful equity and i had angel invested a little bit like i had didn't done my stint at eniac and she basically had total confidence in me to start investing which was awesome So I joined her, which was definitely not the traditional thing, because like at that point, it probably would have been go do, you know, something, an associate or something and a more traditional two or three year role. So that was the first. And I also had to take I mean, I got equity, but I took a severe pay cut. And I just I learned so much from just like inherently being a partner with two people. It was just just the two of us and like a bunch of rotating interns. We did that for about four and a half years. And it was great. First of all, Laurel was awesome. She still is awesome. She's actually, we're still very close. I didn't think that when we joined together, I didn't think it was going to be a lifelong thing. Like It was sort of like, this is a cool job, quote unquote. Starting your own thing is just so different. Although we were partners, it's like, I named my fund Four Acres Capital because I went to high school in New York, Riverdale called Horace Man and the field at my high school is actually called Four Acres and it's like so meaningful to me I did an event last week there and I was like you guys like to all the coaches I told them and they were like no effing like it's a whole different beast when you start your own and when you have 100% of the GP and then you can decide what to do from there and so I incorporated probably a year ago but there's so many I was making the transition from Superno to Four Acres and like just started thinking about what it would look like. I made some angel investments to make angel investments, but they were through the fund to start just like branding four acres and creating some awareness and sort of separating myself from Supernode full time. And I went out to raise in January, 2022 and I raised for like two months or so. I mean, I learned so much from it. I can't even tell you. It didn't feel like it was like in the throes of the pandemic. I was in Miami and that COVID isn't, Doesn't exist there, so I actually found like an anchor investor there. I found, uh, you know, a lot of, just like a lot of people were looking to put capital to work. I reach out to, you know, my usual suspects or like my lowest hanging fruit, and I'm very glad I did it. I don't think that like after Supernote I would have gone back to a full time fund. The idea of going back to work for somebody else and like not having the authority to pull the trigger was just like so unappealing to me.
1: You know, it's interesting. You sound so much more like an entrepreneur than an investor. I mean, your whole story and why you're doing this sounds much more like a young entrepreneur finding their business and wanting to establish it in their own image versus somebody who just was an investor geek who really wanted to work their way up the venture capital ladder and become a you know a venture capital mogul.
2: I will be a venture capital mogul, normal words. I'm going to be household name and have a million dollar fund one day. You know, I really felt that, like, I love doing, like, media stuff. I love, you know, being active on social media and doing, inter- like, I just, I love the forward-facing bit of, of being a VC and how you could everyone is their own brand and you have your own image. And it's like, Cardi B, a VC, I don't even know what that is, but whatever it is, it's like you're representing your own company. You get to a point where you're like, if I have the capital and access to deals and resources, why would I not? do my own thing.
0: We love that, Jenny. It's one of the things we like is Randy and I are part of that same kind of, that part of the reason I think we did the job that we did was we couldn't work for anybody else. That was no one else would want us to work for them as kind of part of it. So welcome to the club. And you do need to tell us, you told us Four Acres. We got that story. That was on my list of questions. Thanks for hitting that. But the Cardi B of VC, since it is your brand, you got to tell us how to come about, because I get asked that question every time people find out I'm friends
2: with you. So this is the weirdest thing. I had three different people from all different walks of life, out of nowhere, just be like, "Has anyone ever told you that you're the that you you're the Cardi B of VC?" First of all, what does that even mean? And I was like, "Well, like if three different people are saying it to me and they're completely unrelated, I was like, how does that even like how did that how do, how did three different people come up with that?" and I was like, that's really catchy, and I guess it sort of means, like, I do what I want, and I just, like, am bold and fearless. I don't really know, and then I was like, then my parents were like, wait, didn't she get arrested, and, like, do you want that association? And I was like, 2020, like, I, like, no one cares about that. Like, you guys are living in the past. I am the Cardi B of VC, so I don't really know. I wish I had, like, an amazing answer because it would be so fun, but... I have to just
0: interpret it. Next question for you. I'm glad I finally got that story out there. You randomly had three people give you inception on that. And that's an amazing way to get it done. And so one of the things we talked to your former colleague, Nahal, and I know you're very close to him to this day. We had him on the episode talking specifically about building your network and how your network ends up being a big asset. Obviously, you have a great network in New York. And we know that Laurel started something called Serial Entrepreneurs. Tell me a little bit about how that network of born and bred New York founders has really been an asset for you, how you work with it, and what it means to Four Acres.
2: I don't think that like network is a component. I actually think network is like your whole business when you're a venture capitalist. Every time I'm doing, I take a pitch call, and at the end of it, or during it, when I'm thinking through like, how could I actually work with this company? How can I be helpful? Like the first thing that comes to mind is like, who do I know and how can I connect them? And I basically, for 4 Acres, I'm mostly focused on FinTech Healthcare and Web3. The FinTech network, or just generally in finance, my family has been in finance forever. My brothers are both at funds. My dad's at fund, my uncle, just like that's And most of our friends and my parents' friends growing up, that's, that's just so it, access to private capital public and private markets and sort of that investing community has been really helpful for a lot of different portfolio companies. My uncle is actually the global chair of the merchant bank at Goldman and some of the portfolio companies, you know, access to, you know, Marcus or whatever it might be at Goldman is just a huge asset. Obviously I worked there and the finance bit is like, it's very strategic and and obvious. And i built So when I was investing in Supernode, it actually ended up that a third of the companies that we invested in were in fintech, um, a third, roughly, were in healthcare, and then I just, I really started getting involved in healthcare as an advisor to Mount Sinai, and two of my investors actually happened to co-chair the board of Mount Sinai, and then through a lot of my LPs, and just like generally, having been here in New York forever, there's a lot of connections I have to these big hospital institutions, these private practices, um, like even doctors I went to growing up. And there's just, there's a lot of that access is really helpful to portfolio companies. And then once you actually invest in healthcare, whether it's like digital health, or even I invested in a company that's doing um, psychedelics, there's so many different and mental health, like mental health insurance, there's a lot of different sort of areas within healthcare, a lot of them can i mean I, everyone makes fun of vcs when i say like synergies within your portfolio but i actually was able to connect so many of my portfolio companies at supernote together um, one of them is doing like it's basically a firm for healthcare, so all offering alternative financing and like basically every digital health consumer company needs that so once you invest and build your portfolio company you took it, your portfolio it took a number of years i really got ingrained and in sort of healthcare I got used to the longer sales cycles for some of these companies yeah really built that as a thesis so healthcare fintech and then web3 is the last one so web3 we didn't do anything at Supernode of web3 but it's i mean I spent the five or six past five or six months for two years at two different periods of six months in, in Miami and it's absolute havoc i mean It's everywhere. It's like the NFT bros and like MoonPay party. It's like, it's insanity. And so many of those companies are like everywhere you go, there's either someone starting something in DeFi, crypto, like a new NFT marketplace. And I mean, it, it was insane. And so I was surrounded by that for the past six months. And as I was raising for four acres, it just seemed natural that like, and I honestly, I have been looking for sort of infrastructure, sort of picks and shovels for, a lot of these Web3 deals and then first movers, which a lot of people are also, but invested in a company called Kudos, which is like Pinterest for for Web3. There's a lot of parallels with that are, if they haven't been started, they are starting now. It just seemed very natural that I was raising at the time when you know Web3 seemed to be on the cutting edge of new tech. But using your network, I mean, then you get investor. I mean, as you guys both know, you get investor updates from mostly every portfolio company every month. And it's like, it's so competitive now. Like VCs are so competitive with each other that if for nothing else than to help your portfolio companies, you just want to get that shout out in the email that says, thanks to Jenny for that intro to so-and-so that became a customer. And I also tell other, I I tell this to potential portfolio companies or just founders in general, I'm like, make an air table of all of your potential enterprise customers that share it with all your investors. And then you're the only one who has edit access write down the investor on each potential customer that's made an intro or potentially made an intro. And like VCs go, they just want to make proof to everyone else that they're the more helpful VC. Um, And your network, I mean, this is all about your network and and using, you know, literally any contact you have from like, whether it's grade school or business school or professional Goldman or mini bar, uni act, all of the contacts I've ever made, anyone, you just have to, I mean, and that's the way also you get into deals like now or these days, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but like I feel like I have to make intros even before I'm accepted quote unquote into a deal. And that doesn't even guarantee that I get into it. It's been so competitive lately. I, I, I really feel like that.
1: So do you do you find as you're usually part of a syndicate or you try to win a deal? Do you actually try to control the first dollars going in yourself? Or are you happy to partner with a group of people to bring you into the deal, and then you bring them into the next deal, and you begin to share deals.
2: Yeah, I do that a lot. I mean, I do, I mean, I set up like a deal sharing to stay on top of all the deal flow that's going on. I do like, so I'm in like WhatsApp groups, other VCs, other pre seed and seed investors. I do recurring deal flow calls with like, you know, maybe call it six VCs that like I'm close with that I keep in close contact with that I. You know, whether they're leads or if they're part of a deal or whether they participate in a syndicate, Slack channels, there's so many recurring groups and like meetups that you have to be a part of. And then one-on-ones that you would just have to continue to share deal flow. So I usually like, I try to do it once a week, send around a list of like my top five best deals to like a couple investors that I'm very close with. And then, yeah, I mean, it's in your best interest to send people your best deals because, some, if, if you're if you're participating in a company, because then, I am mean, not like they owe you one back, but like you want to give back and then hopefully it comes back to you.
0: But Jenny, so you mentioned how competitive it is. What are some of your tricks that you're using to get into those hotter deals?
2: So, like I said, I literally have to make intros before. I have to make potential customer intros, even if I commit to the deal, like at my first or second meeting, if I'm like, this is 100% a winner it's still not guaranteed. So I have to make sure, like I met Alex Atala, the CEO of OpenSea at a, a, some event in Miami and like tried to hang out with him every day. Obviously he has so many better things to do. But like if I make an intro to him as a potential customer to integrate with OpenSea, like that's a huge ask for me um, and a huge win for a, a company. And if I do that, I would hope that that would get me into the deal. Like, I, I feel like you need one, at least one big pull. Every company is different, but you have to try to at least show that you're adding value or find them a lead investor. I mean, it's the same for, it's. this is like the same sort of recipe for every VC out there. I think it's just unique to every deal. But yeah, like it's it's so much about who you know. It's honestly like, can you name drop and can you make it happen? It's nuts. Do you find it the
1: same in New York, as in Miami? Is it different in Miami?
2: You know, I actually, I've only been back for like a week and a half. And I actually have been to like two things today where I saw a bunch of investors. And they were all like, yeah, like I'm not even doing Web3. Like those Miami peeps have no idea what they're doing. It was almost like they were like looking down on like that. The valuations are insane. I have no time for that. But I'm sitting here being like, Yeah, but you haven't been to all these peeps' houses. Like, you haven't seen what I've seen. Like, these are like billionaires and they're crushing life. They have amazing lives in Miami. Like, I want to be that. So you guys go off like coughing at these people, but like they're making tons of money. It's a different vibe here. I love the vibe here. It's it's like you're appreciated for like being the investor that you are.
0: I do want to get back to some of the nuts and bolts of what we were talking about to begin with want you to talk to us a little bit about starting your first fund, literally pitching your first LPs, figuring out what your LPA looks like, et cetera. Tell us some of the nuts and bolts of what you had to do and what was it like to go into your first LP pitch?
2: Yeah, I did pitch a couple people like with Laurel at Supernode, but I let her like it was Supernode was like her baby. So I did it very differently, Four Acres. I made it so it was, like, totally a conversation. I never had, like, a slide deck up. I was never going through it. I, it, it was, like, very much, like, a natural conversation. I was nervous in the beginning, but then, you know, when you ask the first couple of people who you think, you know, are very likely to invest, and then you're just, like, I'm so good at this. Fundraising is my thing. Because, like, obviously, like, you ask your dad. And, like, so I was, like, so- cocky in the beginning and then this was like January then at some point the markets like uh, everything sort of changed I guess in February or um but for uh, in the beginning of 2022 it was like super exciting I what I did differently as a couple things so I guess most EPs put in like 0.1% I would say or at least like that's what standard LPA say I went like full speed ahead I was like I'm putting in 20% of this fund, at least, as my GP commit, and I don't even want to. Honestly, I didn't really want to raise. I mean, if I had $10 million to spare, granted, it's a very small fund. I understand $10 million is a very small fund, but it's only my first fund. The goal for everyone is to have a family office sort of. I was always like 20%, and I have to give my investors 80%. Like that's a shit. I'd rather just do invest all my own money, but obviously that doesn't doesn't work out as easily as as you know so i put it put up 2 million dollars and that's where i actually think i am mean, be making money is on my own own 100% of that i think people were intrigued by how much i was willing to take a bet on myself and i the, all the deals that i've done from supernode like starting when I was leaving super to four acres, I warehoused into the fund and they had already been marked up. And I know that a lot of people do that, but there, I wasn't, I wanted to make sure that my LPs knew that I was like all in. So Laurel at supernode and I, we have like, you know, almost 50 portfolio companies. And as a part of sort of direct invest, we're offering pro rata to our the node LPs obviously first. And then if there's additional allocation, which they're, I'm sure there will be for a lot of these, a lot of the deals, especially the growth rounds. I I will offer that to four acres LPs and I'm not charging on top of that. I know that some people do, but I decided not to, but I hustled. I know I'm like very LOL, this and that, but like I spent, I, it was a grind. I went through every single, every single person on every cap table I've ever been a part of scraped every person googled every single person tried to find like stalk everyone to find their emails trying to track down who everyone was and i used to do this though by the way look at cap tables and then reach out to people and be like it was just the easiest way of networking being like hey we're in so and so deal together would love to chat it's just an easy way to like make a friend at sequoia like they're not going to say no and so i did that for all of my, I went back from the beginning, and I was just like, I've never done this for individuals, and there's probably some random, you know, rich peeps. So I looked at anyone that's invested mostly north of hundred, hundred k, and I just reached out, being like, sup, we'd love to talk. Like, we're in co-investors, and so and so." So I had a bunch of those meetings. I met so many interesting people. Some of them actually were like, "I only do directs. That's fine, because that's how I would have, you know, that's where I met them on <laughs> the direct cap table." I went to LinkedIn, I wrote like family offices. And then I literally, if I, I went through everyone's profile to see what sort of anything we had in common. So like, whether it was business school, or if we both worked at Goldman, whatever it was, like my parents spent a bunch of time in Westport. I remember I wrote like Westport groupies, like I wrote anything to get their attention on the subject. And I actually, I had a lot of family offices. I would say maybe one or two is like enough to make a difference. And I got some investors from all this school outreach. But it's I mean, you have to go out nonstop. I mean, it's a grind. And and then and my investments at Supernote did well. Like I they really did. And I was able to talk about how I sourced every deal and what I thought about each one and how all of that. So it was it was good and bad in that I couldn't like Laurel was my partner at Supernote. So it's not like I could say this is my fun too. But I could talk through all of my investments and have use it as somewhat of a track record so they knew that I had been in the game and all of that.
1: It, it, your networking is incredibly creative. It, it seems like it's a natural extension of who you are, right? So you just do this. This is just who you are. It's This is inherent.
2: Like if people say that VC is like, I was made for this job. I mean, I will agree with that when I become really rich and famous, but right now I hope I hope it's true. But
1: you like it. You, I mean, you, you like hobnobbing and hanging out and meeting people and – you know making a making a good impression and adding them to your network i mean it's kind of it's just kind of a natural thing that you do it's just a, a marriage between career and character
2: 100% but i really want to become like a jim cramer of like i got to find somebody that's like that girl is going to be something it hasn't happened yet but i i do think along the way someone's going to see my potential to be a big personality and that's when it hasn't happened yet but it will you
0: mentioned warehousing. You also mentioned scraping. One of the things I tell first-time managers all the time is you got to remember, raising your fund is a sales process, and you need to be ruthless with your sales qualification process. So it sounds like you did a lot of that. You sent cold outreach mails. You followed up. Talk to us about what managing that process was like. You broke out your air table. Talk to us how you viewed your sales process. It's, it's, it's what our enterprise software company's got to do. You did it for yourself, and give us some tips.
2: I'm not really good at sales. It's not my strong suit. I really say like what is honest and what I'm thinking and what I think is realistic. I am not one of those people where they're going to be like, where I create like a sense of urgency and you have to invest now because everyone's doing it. And like, I've, I've been on this. uh, I mean, I speak to founders all the time. I know what it's like to create this, you know, that's not what I'm good at. I'm good at talking through sort of fielding any questions Send Being so responsive with any follow-up, sending any real, you know, if they wanted more, if they were more interested in sort of the warehouse deals, if they are more interested in sort of what the investment process looks like, I I feel like you just have to be really persistent. I did have somebody say that they were in, I don't want to give it, a I won't say how much, but like almost 10% of the fund told me that they were in and then i never heard from them again which like they don't tell you that that happens but it happens it's nothing's done until the wires sent. it's such shit like i actually can't believe people do that and then i had some people change their elly jenny were those individuals or institutions individuals. Oh. i didn't go after institutions because i really after having seen what's like a supernode and i really there's no 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 i don't know if whoever is listening and is thinking about raising a fund institutions, it's a, a completely different process than it is invest raising capital from individuals and family offices. It's like entirely night and day. I think what I would say is that I didn't, when I was at Eniag or Goldman, like I didn't, I wasn't thinking early on, I need to cultivate these relationships and keep them for when I eventually want to start my own thing. I was like, I was short-sighted in that. And I really do wish that like, when I was either like at a friend's house at dinner, or, like or had the opportunity to be in a like when I went to Eric Schmidt's house for a, a book signing, I actually, he did become an investor and I became really good friends with him. Those types of opportunities, like whoever else was there, things like, like you really need, if you're put in a situation where you have potential investors or people that could be a value add to your business, got to take advantage of it. Because like, or even just follow up with the, with the conversation. Tell them about what you're doing. Engage them in your work a little bit. Because like the conversations, it's so.
0: Randy, I don't know about you, but that's what I call being a good salesperson. I mean, Jenny, you just said you weren't a good salesperson, but it, but in my mind, that's that's being a good salesperson.
2: No, but I didn't start doing that. Was what I'm saying. I like like I met I'm I'm not gonna say who, but like a couple like people over the past, you know. Had I met people, you know, a year ago, and I was like, or, or more than a year ago, two years, however long ago, just being in a, an environment where I could talk about business, get their card, like show them that I'm ambitious, and then follow up later, I left. I mean, I can't even think of the number of people that could have been investors. But you, got, you have to, even if you don't know what you want to do, it's start a company, start a business, whatever you want to do in life, you're gonna need capital. And I would say, like. If you know that someone has access to it or is in a position to maybe potentially be a partner or, or whatever it might be later on in life, may, like just have a conversation. Just like don't, like in, go out of your way to introduce yourself. I, I didn't do that. And had I done that, because people want to know you for more than my anchor investor, I, ha- I met a year ago in Miami and we like somewhat kept in touch, but we can't, we got, got back in touch when I was in Miami, but like I met him a year ago. I don't know if it would have been the same had I not, had I just started to engage him in January. It's different.
1: Do you find that the personalities that you're dealing with in web 3.0 are very different than the personalities in healthcare or in
2: fintech? I feel like if you, I don't know about you guys right now looking at healthcare deals, that like I actually think are good deals. One of them has a great co-lead, like a solid, I would say B plus lead. And can't find another co-lead and has been on the market trying to raise for like six months. Web3, you, by the time you, you're meeting, like let's say you schedule a meeting for, uh, let's say I met, I wanted to meet a company scheduled a first meeting for Monday. That's it's closed by Monday. There's no way that like Wednesday to Monday and today's Wednesday, there is no way it's open for that long. And there's just this sense of urgency and this sense of just like, uh, and, and, I was talking to Nahal about this at lunch. There's like 65 new crypto funds in the past year or something like, and they have to deploy. So like, it's a rat race. Unbelievable.
0: So Jenny, you said your fund's $10 million. Did you pick that in advance?
2: Yeah. $10 million was, this is like, sometimes in this industry these days you have to like take what traditional VC is. And then you have to think about crypto VC like, crypto VC, if you have a fund that's not at least $100 million, it's, like, you're not really even a fund. Normal VC is, like, again, I was just with Nahal. His first fund, ENIAC fund, one was a million bucks. And, like, granted, it was, like, six, seven, eight, nine years ago, ten years, whatever it was. But like, I thought most people would that have been in the industry for a while, way longer than I have, um, would say like your first fund is like single digits. Then your second fund is, you know, 25, between 25 and 50, then 50 to 75. And then by fund four, you're between, you're about like a hundred million bucks. That's like typically what people have said. And that's been like, that's been pretty traditional. I thought that because I did, Supernote was a couple million bucks. It was a really small fund. And I figured that if I didn't have a partner at during this, I do want to find a partner at some point. I really do for fun too but I knew that if I if I was able to deploy this capital at Supernode for like 5 million bucks I knew I could do the same sort of like I knew this playbook and I could do it for 10 million and not stress out about not having a partner but I did feel like anything just like significantly more than that I didn't I, I'm not going to be like be totally honest with my LPs like I, I don't want to take on more than I can do in you know fifty million dollar fund or whatever it might be. So fund one, I was happy with this number. There's no magic number though. I I just felt like it was, you know, an even number and it was between sort of the fifteen five fifteen million dollar range. But yeah, I just felt like it was as it was manageable as a solo GP.
1: In the crypto space, are you, do you, how much of it do you think is the frenzy being fueled by recycling of crypto? Do you think it's crypto investing in crypto? It's crypto turning into cash, turning into crypto? Is, is that why there's so much heat in that market?
2: No, I think it's just, it's shiny and, and, um, and it's trendy. It's like all these parallel markets, anything Web2, people are trying to do for Web3. There's so much on-ramp and off-ramp. There are so many different – I mean, there's endless number of tokens. Like, think about – I mean, and it's wildly – far. like, even when I'm speaking to founders now that are doing stuff in Web 2, I'm like, if you just – if you have, like, a Web 3 angle, it would make it easier to raise right now. Like, people are literally just, like, there's so many Web 3 focus funds, and, like, all the Gen Z peeps are like, ah, Web 2 is so – like, no one's doing Web 2 anymore. I'm like, that's – yes, they are. And yes, they are. Like, I, I, I feel like, but it was interesting, I was just talking to another investor, like, an uh, deed stage company that was capped at 40 is now recapped at 15 post. And like, I would not be surprised if more of that started to happen. And it would make you feel better about not getting into some of these deals that I've desperately tried to get into it, like a, a 25 cap. I mean, the same way that Web2 slowed down a bit, I would assume that some of it is going to happen in Web3, but they're getting away with it. You know what I think is going to be awesome is secondary, being able to sell in the secondary market in a couple months, like before they go to recap, like just get some liquidity for your LPs and call it a day. So your $10
0: million fund, how many positions are you going to have in there? How many checks are you trying to write? Is there a target check size?
2: So yeah, I'm trying to write between 100 and 250, but realistically, like this is what I this is what I do with my LPs. I'm not going to say I'm writing 250K checks because I want to be realistic. The Web3 deals are so freaking hard to get into and even some of the other stuff in tech and healthcare that there is a chance that I might have to write like a 75 or 100K check and like that's possible. It's go- it's going to happen. At Supernode, we were writing like 25, 25- I mean, that's unsust- it's not sustainable at all writing 25K checks. And I would be investing for the next 300 years deploying a $10 million fund. But I would say between 100 and 250 for initial investments. And then for follow that, that and that I would call 70% and then 30 for for additional capital. But I have to say in this market, and I'm not just being like pessimistic, it's actually the truth. You can't as a small fund, if you're not like a name brand, it is very hard to make sure that you're getting pro rata on every single deal, especially the ones that you're like fighting to get into. And which is like totally a new thing. Cause when I was at Supernode, we were like, we were like, take it or leave it, we're doing pro rata. And now it's like, they don't need you. I mean, even if I'm adding a ton of value, they're like, Yeah, we don't care. We're not doing pro rata for anyone except for the lead. And that's like, it's it's such a different mindset. But a lot of these founders are like depending on, you know, how helpful you are. And then, you know, from with the capital that we raise in the seed, we'll, we'll assess at the next, at the A. And it's like, it's just mind blowing.
1: One thing that strikes me listening to your story is how unimportant venture capital is. Because who cares? I mean, we could cut the number of venture capitalists by half, and we still have the same number of ventures and entrepreneurs. It's not as if our customers, you know I always think of my customer as the entrepreneur, they don't need me. If, I, if they can get capital anywhere, they don't need me. We're in a very different business when we're trying to sell our capital in versus serve a customer with a great idea who otherwise wouldn't be able to get that idea of the market, but for the capital we give them. It's really just turned on its head in a very interesting way. Which is why I think you're so much better at this job than I would be today. I did a different job for 30 years, which was find these, these pigs in a poke, these great people who were never going to be able to get their ideas to market, figure out how to package that and finance that, help them to grow their business, do that all quietly. I didn't have to fight to get into those deals. And it's just really transformed. I mean, listen to you, what you do, I couldn't do. There's no way I would be successful doing what you do.
2: It's you have to be like socially relevant, you have to be on Twitter all the time. You have to be like I have 3 events tonight and like that's you must be showing your face everywhere. You mentioned
1: you may be thinking about bringing out another partner. What would you look for in a partner? I mean, given your skill set, what would you look to complement that?
2: Yeah. So, I originally thought that it would be someone that I originally thought it was me someone that was more on the operating side. Was my first one that could sort of like former, you know, early like you know second employee. Like the, this guy that I'm friends with in Miami, he was like the third Uber employee. It's more than that. He's actually very thoughtful. My friend Ryan, he's like he get really gets into the weeds in these companies, and he's he's very thoughtful about the operating in ways that I wouldn't be. Um, I don't even know if the, now that the climate has changed so much. I was talking to someone at dinner the other week, and they were like, "You should go find like a Jake Paul to partner with." And like, I don't really—that's not what I want to do, though. I don't like—I'm the face of it. Not like I don't want some like celebrity. Like that's not—I don't. It, It's—it is a path. Um, what I think I want to find is that is someone who similarly has like a good feel, a good, a big network that is complementary to mine. Um, that brings deals to the table. Someone to bounce ideas off of, uh, and another just honestly, really another selling point to get into deals. Whether it's like, I mean, I don't, I'm, I can't see myself doing that cultural route. But some other value add to help, um, you know, sell into portfolio portfolio companies.
0: You mentioned a bit about your ratio for initial checks to reserves. How did you figure that out? Who do you go to for guidance to figure that out when you're doing a first-time fund? A lot of this stuff's kind of arcane. Love your thoughts on on how you handle some questions like that of, say, portfolio construction.
2: He doesn't think of it like this, but like I don't know where I would be if it weren't for Nahal because he's literally call him, text him, every question I've ever had he was like the first person to help really on this journey and just like all the stupid questions he he was my person to go to. And then there are people along the way that like, you know, maybe I wasn't best friend, like the your max at, at story of I wasn't best friends with Brian undergrad. I was friendly with him and Jake. I didn't even know what to pen. They both, they're brothers of pen when I was there. Now they've become such good friends of mine. And we it, were like, we're friends beyond the scope of VC and you need like, you really need, a handful of those, I would say anywhere between like five and 10 of those people where you just like you're texting all the time and you feel like you can just like tell them the crazy shit that goes on in your job and you want to like as your outlet and, and 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 get into deals that, you know, if they're a part of a syndicate, I really feel like you need to and it, it wasn't right away. It was like when, once I was at Supernode, I realized that Jake and, and Brian were also starting Story became really close with my friend Charlotte, uh, at, Charlotte Ross was at NEA. We did our – the first deal I did from Supernode, she was doing – she followed on from NEA, and then now she's inspired. We've become super close from that. But it, but it builds. Like, you can't go into it. Like, venture is a process. It's like whether it's your co-investors, whether – and then you actually, like, need people to vouch for you if you're a follow-on investor – the leads. I mean, if they're leading rounds, like they can make room for you. Like the, all the relationships in VC are so important. It's not like an overnight thing, which I do think is. The, I guess the time, the years that I spent at SuperNode, I think people that would have done, you know, four years at an institutional fund. That's like where you meet other VCs and you build sort of your community. And but I do think that those years are very crucial. I think that like just diving in, can't imagine just starting my fund like after college. I mean, some people are doing like pre-seed funds in business school, raised a couple million dollars. Like it's just getting earlier and earlier, but your network is so important. So having a fund with that one or with a small one is almost defeats the purpose.
0: Jenny, last question. Any final advice you can give to someone who's crazy enough to go raise their first time fund by themselves? What What's a piece of advice you wish you got when you started this process?
2: I mean, the two things that I really think that until the papers are signed, you do not have a, there's no guarantee and start making the connections early. Everyone is a potential LP. Everyone.
0: Everyone's a potential LP. We like that. Like that. Commissar. any final thoughts?
1: I've just really enjoyed the conversation. I mean, he's been really impressed with Jenny's energy and you know, presence and I admire her incredible tenacity and the, just sort of the natural fit between who she is and what this business seems to add, you know, require today. Um, it's pretty
0: impressive. Jenny, thank you so much.
2: Thank you guys so much. It's just your time.
0: Thanks for listening. Lunch Bell VC was created by Randy Comisar and me, Paul Martino. It was produced by the great team at Edit Audio. If you want to follow more of our guest's journey, check out the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a review and tell your budding VC friends to listen to us. They might actually learn something. Again, I'm Paul Martino, and on behalf of Randy Komisar, see you next time.